Hello, and thanks for tuning into Selection Show. I'm Ian Heath, the news editor of Citywide Selector. In the studio with me today, I have Hakan Kaya, who manages the Neuburger Berman Commodities Fund. Thanks for dropping in, Hakan. Thanks for having me, Ian. Of course. Um, I spoke with Hakan a couple of months ago, and he told me one of the key investment trends he's monitoring right now is the green energy transition. And this is due to the quantity of raw materials that we needed to well, will be required to transform the world economy uh, to being electrified and carbon neutral. This naturally will have a heavy impact on commodity markets. Hacken told me at the time he thought copper could become the new oil and its price could increase as much as eight times due to the critical role it will play in the transition. Today, we're going to explore these kind of subjects in more depth. Hacken, first of all, could you tell me why is this green energy transition and what kind of themes do you think are going on surrounding it right now? Yeah, sure thing, Ian. I think, you know, when you look at any commodity market, any, you know, uh, natural resource market, I think the way to understand this is kind of like a thinking about, and the, the way I like to think about it is like, you know, different type of cycles, right? We have kind of like a very long-term structural, you know, increases in generally in any commodity that we look at, like, for example, due to just because populations are increasing, right? Just because there's increasing urbanization that's still going on. And just because we still need to incentivize miners just so they go out and, you know, dig and bring the, uh, the production, the commodity prices generally tend to increase. So among those, these this structural trends, we also think about these, uh, what we call cycles, uh, first supply cycles, like, you know, they tend to last seven to 15 years and then demand cycles and then what we would like to call kind of like a very short term noise, basically coming from risk and coming from risk aversion, you know, and, and, and very things, idiosyncratic risks like weather. Now, these supply cycles, five to, you know, uh, 15 years, demand cycles a little bit. Uh, short term, depending on government policies, depending on interest rate policies and supply cycles themselves, you're going to have to think about, you know, how the existing age of, you know, the capital, you know, it's competitive versus what is going on elsewhere, elsewhere in the economies, I guess, especially compared to the tech that requires some sort of capital competition either to kind of like capital intensive sectors like commodities or to, to, to less capital intensive sectors like new new world economy, like the tech and so on and so forth. And when we talk about things like super cycles, right? These are the times when that structural, you know, upward trend aligns with the supply cycle on the upside, aligns with the demand cycle on the upside and creates that perfect storm. So what I see that has been happening in the commodity markets in the past two or three years, these cycles aligning up. Now, why are these cycles aligning up? Let me start, for, for example, from, this, from the supply angle. And in the, it's no secret these days, like, you know, in the past 10, 15 years, the commodity you know, asset class, it has been horrible, horrible, poor returns. A lot of people burned a lot of fingers and it changed behavior in the sense that there is a lot less appetite for taking risk in this asset class, right? The poor returns collectively change the behavior. And there's now, when you look at the, 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 the behaviors, there's like a, a, you know, people made the mistakes back in the previous cycle of, you know, hey, we are going to defeat the Chinese. We're going to supply as much as we can. It created that clot and created kind of like that poor return environment. And those mistakes, we, we learned from it. And today, what the, 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 the mentality totally changed. It changed from what we used to have, like, you know, growth model to now a cash flow safety model. And no matter which miner you talk to, no matter which, you know, commodity producer you talk to, the capital discipline is there. 
you know, the CEOs don't want to, you know, accelerate, ramp up, you know, production as much as before. Uh, stakeholders, shareholders, they do not want to uh, accelerate production. And all those companies that, you know, increase production more than their peers, they get literally punished, punished by the markets. You see examples of it in energy, you see examples of it in, 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 in metals as well. That's why this capital preservation is key these days. And that's why you see these miners, right? They, they got rich last year, you know, commodity prices were high. You would expect them to go deploy this in production, right? But it's not happening. What are they doing instead? They are accelerating uh, what we call this, uh, these, these acquisitions. Like for example, you see Glencore going after tech resources. You see BHP going after Oz. Like you see Newmont going after Newcrest. The, the, the idea is, you know what? We don't want to risk capital going out, you know, uh, venturing new fields, new mines. We would like to buy the existing production. So we would like to play safe. That's why you see the production. It is not responsive. The price signals is not responsive to 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 many of the. Uh, the the encouragements from you know this these new energy transition dynamics that are coming in. So we have really a, a very strict supply uh, problem, very yeah. tight inventories. Now, on the demand side, you ask the great questions. What is going on, right? Yeah. On the demand side, we see again very big shifts. And what I like to you know uh, summarize these shifts as you know redistributional policies, you know populist policies. Yeah. We would like to, you know, uh, also summarize them as environmental policies as the second line item and also deglobalization, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot more emphasis on self-sufficiency these days, a lot more emphasis on going from global to local these days. We started yeah. this, as you can remember, in 2016-17 with tariff wars between U.S. and China. We got, you know, the, the, the COVID was the last, you know, uh, uh, nail on the coffin. And today it is intensifying with these kind of like rare earth metal, metals, metals competition. Really, there is kind of like a, a competition for natural resources uh, going on. So what is going to happen? You're going, I like to think about this as more like a, the, 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 the four R's, right? You know, mm -hmm. you've got to have to, uh, you know, reindustrialize nations especially the ones that, you know, fell behind, like to be told in, in Europe, like we have to see that reindustrialization, but we would like to do it very strategically through, you know, what we would like to call, you know, rewiring of economies, reshoring of, you know, onshoring of supply chains, or like, you know, restocking of the critical metals, like strategic stockpiling of the critical metals that will be important for this uh, reshoring. And unfortunately, at the end, we also have to, uh, see increase in rearming, remilitarization, re and it's no surprise. Like you know, last year you saw Germany going out saying you know they are modernizing their uh, army. You see kind of like Gulf nations investing you know billions and billions of dollars in 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 arms, and then you see kind of like China and U.S. all trying to secure you know uh, deals in Latin America in terms of the safety and security of these supply chains. So when you look at these, you know times when there's like big revolutions like this, right? Ian? Like you gotta have to see alignment of interest. Mm -hmm. And the alignment of interest, I like to think about this in terms of, uh, you know, win, win, win in what, what I'd like to call C++. And C is like climate, definitely is gonna be a win for the climate. These type of energy transition policies, it's gonna keep the, the, the global warming, uh, uh, you know, controlled. It is gonna be the second piece is gonna be good for the people 
in terms of job creation when you see you know the energy transition the green new deals like the iras and the yeah. net zero in industry acts it's going to be great for the uh, the the, the in, 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 in people just ira is supposed to bring like in the next 10 years about 9 million jobs mm -hmm. just in the united states and also it's going to be good for politicians too so you got to have to see an alignment of these and especially on the politician side when you look at history Right. You know, you see these days a lot of discussions, right, you know, whether should we fund this, should we not fund this, you know, Republicans this way, Democrats this way. But when you look at history, I think, you know, you see clear examples of won battles in this space when there were kind of like really, you know, uh, revolutionary transitions. Like you look at the 1930s, like the New Deal with yeah, Franklin yeah. Uh, Roosevelt. And then, you know, at that time. FDR, you know, you, you look at the TVA, you know, Tennessee Valley Authority Act. And I think that was the first version of the energy transition. You know, why it was done? Again, like the three R's, right? We had the relief, recovery, reform. And for that relief and recovery, they decided to go out and modernize this Tennessee Valley. They, in, in a decade or so, they built 29 hydro uh, dams, they built power, uh, you know, you, you know, uh, plants, utility companies, numerous, on a great win for the Democrats. And from 1930s to the end of the 50s, it won Democrats, you know, seven out of nine presidential races. It was so successful, even the Republicans came out to be kind of like a supporters of this new uh, deal uh, framework. And you go to, you know, 70s, same, you know, unconditional war on poverty. And then you fast forward to today, now we have these green deals, like green, uh, green initiatives like the in, the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States. It's the yeah. you know uh, the European version of it, or the or, yes. uh, the, the the net zero industry at repower Europe. The way, however you would like to call it, one way or the other, I think it's going to be because there's this alignment of interest sure. and uh, you know from across people, politicians, and climate. It's gonna you know this this is going to be a win for everybody. And there's I don't see any return from you know, this kind of a transition one way or the other, we will uh, continue this transition. Um, it's very interesting to hear about these drivers of supply and demand. Uh, let's talk about the implications of this and in particular, the green energy transition. What materials will be needed to make this happen and what impact will the surge in demand have on commodities markets? Yes, definitely, definitely. So this, this is an energy transition and it is going to uh, require electrifying our economies. But you know, one way or the an another, electrifying an economy uh, means metallizing that economy, right? You know, it's gonna have profound differences in what will be needed you know, in this new economy. And it's gonna be less fossil fuel oriented, mm -hmm. more metal oriented. And I like to think about this across uh, different uh, areas of you know metal need, and I just to start, we will need to solve hardware problems, right? What I mean by this, we we will need to build these solar panels, we will need to build these wind turbines, we will need to build these EVs, the frames of these EVs, like the bodies of these EVs. It will contain a lot of metals. Like what will you need? You will need a lot of copper. You will need a lot of aluminum, steel, and silver just to complete kind of like the, the top line uh, metals, minerals, just for this hardware uh, part of the, uh, the, the the necessity. The second is you got to have to think about, you know, 
we will start deriving these electric vehicles, right? These electric vehicles, eventually they will need a engines, electric motors, right? And when you look at the, the what will be the, 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 the engine of futures look like, there are different technologies. And based on, again, which one we will take off, we don't know. But there are those engines that require a lot of rare earth metals, lots of, you know, what we call the permanent magnets, you know, the technologies that run with it, or there are those that are built on induction technology that will be requiring a lot more copper, a lot more uh, aluminum. So again, for the engine part of this trans uh, uh, trans uh, uh, transition, we will be needing, you know, magnets like neodymium, like, you know, this prosium, like, you know, these these coppers and aluminum so for all that wiring of that, uh, that, that engine. Uh, uh, to, 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 to complete. And, you know, once you deal with the engine part, the third piece of this puzzle is you got to have to think about the, you know, the, you know, somehow you have to transport this energy, right? You know, energy storage is going to be a very key part of this transition and it's going to require solutions. And you're going to have to look for supercapacitors. You're going to have to look for flow batteries. You're going to have to look for lithium ion batteries or the battery technology in one way or the other. And here, you know, when I think about the battery technologies, again, kind of like the, the top elements that come to mind are kind of like we have the need for aluminum, iron, copper, manganese, vanadium, things like graphite, things like, you know, nickel, cobalt, lithium, even lead and zinc will be a part of this, you know, future, uh, one way or the other, one part of this future battery technology. So once you solve that energy uh, uh, storage and trans transfer, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, problem, then you got to have to think about the distribution and fueling this energy transition too. And here is, a way, yes, we don't want to use the fossil fuels, then you gotta have to replace it with something maybe not as renewable as what we want, like you know things like uranium, right? Nuclear power is gonna be some sort of like a a a a, a kind of like a transition uh, fuel for this until we get enough capacity from winds and solars and uh, and the like. So fueling is gonna be an important part. The second one is the wiring and the 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 building of those power grids and the power stations that will be a very metal in intensive as well so when you look at the totality of these like distribution and fueling uh, part of the transition you're going to be again needing things like steel you know for uranium for electricity generation aluminum copper silver you know again uh, for that wiring anyone thinks like you know gold for a can be essential for those kind of like a mission critical precision equipment that will oh. be gold yes you know will be important in this day on the electronics of this that okay. will you know use uh, uh find use cases so you see there are these these four i think it's going to be again kind of like a a, a a regime of metal demand creating demand across the board yeah. and but you know usually when you think about it what are those cross cuts you know, commodities or the, the, the minerals that are going to be in the center of this uh, transition. You, you heard me saying things like copper, 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 aluminum, 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 yeah. like, you know, things like nickel, nickel, nickel. Like, you know, these are the things that are repeating themes and, you know, lithium, 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 you know, cobalt. So these are kind of like the, what I like to call the key elements uh, to that sure. will be a part of this transition and that should be 
you know, uh, put on top of the list of important elements. And it's why you see, you know, when governments are creating these yeah. critical elements list, these these are the elements that are uh, that are on the top of the list. Let's talk a little bit about uh, challenges. Um, if, if we rewind a, a bit, you, you you talked about these kind of supply issues we're getting, uh, lack of investment from um, corporations, um, lack of political will, that sort of thing. Um, is there any uh, of these um, particular um, commodities or, or metals where you think this could cause bottlenecks or issues or hurdles that we're really going to have to overcome if we're going to get this done? Certainly. And, you know, look, you know, there are certainly some commodities, even in the metals, they have abundance now. But I think over a cycle, you will see scarcity em emerging. But generally speaking, uh, the, the hurdles, I'd like to think about them in terms of first and foremost, we need very, very clear guidance from politicians in terms of what needs to be uh, uh, produced, what are critical, and what miners should focus on. And investors uh, should should also corroborate that with you know capital, uh, you know making being available to to the miners. Look what's happening last year, right? You know we wanted this energy transition to happen. And, you know, there was a good case to be made last year when energy prices were so high, we would be looking for substitutes going into renewables and, you know, accelerating this transition. The problem is we didn't have that political will, right? All of a sudden people started, you know, restarted their coal, you know, power, you know, uh, power plants, you know, started burning you know, fossil fuels again, you know, the, the nuclear power plants started. So one way or the other, if you are a miner and you look at the governments, they are doing these kind of things that are against what they've been telling in terms of climate policies, that kind of makes you think that this is a risky proposal. So I'm making an investment for the next 10, 15, 30 years, a massive amount of investment. If there is no political will and if the politicians are going to be shying away from this at the first sign of trouble, then it makes my job, you know, uh, uh, difficult. So I'm going to shy away from taking that risk. And similarly, investors will see this, and they are seeing this, and they are not necessarily getting into this space with, you know, uh, uh, enough capital, uh, mm -hmm. basically, uh, to 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 make this transition happen. Like, look, this year, you know, we again see a tech boom, right? You know, again, people are yeah. preferring these short cycle, secure, very safe, nice. Uh, you know, new world kind of like uh, investments uh, in 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 uh, in contrast to these like you know dirty old cycle you know old e economy you know long cycle investments. So again, the capital is moving back to the tech and getting away from the miners and the and 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 the and the and the producers. So that's 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 a, a big hurdle. Well, interesting. I was speaking to someone about this last week. <laughs> he said that a lot of people. And kind of missed the, the last decade that we've had with the, you know, like you said, these kind of making easy money off these tech stocks, just ballooning. And yeah, I suppose it's a much more tempting prospect than a kind of long-term investment in. Definitely. Like, yeah. you know, truth be told, like, would you rather give your money to a miner that will take your money and go out and venture it and then perhaps may give your money back, may not give your money back in, you know, 15, 16 years? Or would you rather give that money to something like an Apple, you know, that will turn on, you know, turn over an iPhone every 15 months or so, and then you give you back your money? 
And so I think that's that collective behavior, preference for short-term safer bets that is kind of like, you know, deriving the capital redirection towards these new uh, new economy uh, sectors. And here, the government is, is just very important in terms of coming in and taking those risks out. We just haven't seen that much of a, uh, a involvement yet. As you mentioned, we have seen some movement towards that with the Inflation Reduction Act and like there's some stirrings in the EU as well. So Right. Yes, yeah. definitely. Definitely right direction. It's just it needs to get accelerated in the next few years. So you know, we don't have that, you know, eight times, nine times price rises that I, that you quoted me on in our previous uh, uh, article. The second one is like, you know, there are certain issues with these um, uh, metals is this, just this, like in the case of fossil fuels, right? The, 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 actually, in the, when you look at the energy world, it's relatively diversified. You can get energy from the diverse uh, set of nations and countries these days. But then when you look at the metals, it is highly geographically concentrated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see, you know, lithium, cobalt, you know, things like rare earth elements, right? These, the top two, three, you know, producers easily, you know, control, you know, more than 75, 80% of the production. So they have that kind of like a cartel, like, you know, control over these, these metals, like, you know, uh, things like, you know, it's global South countries, right? Is that is that correct? Yeah, yeah Latin America, like, especially like things like you know, you know, places like China, right? Rare earth elements, right? They control most of the rare earth elements, and they, you know, they are not shy, shying away from weaponizing it, right? It's when you see like you know, President Xi going out, you know, taking pictures in front of magnet factories, you know, before you know, U.S. presidents visit. So it's gonna be an easily a a a a. a a critical element in in the in the geopolitics of this angle as well is again used as kind of like a a, a weapon in, in, in trading and, and creates supply restrictions trade wars so these are I think in my opinion these are going to be kind of like the the new regime I think we had easy with shale revolution and everything in the past 10 15 years in a fossil fuel regime I think it's going to be a lot more difficult going forward with this kind of like a a bifurcated world, if you will, to, for securing these uh, critical metals, especially for the e energy transition. Um, one thing I wanted to speak a, a little bit about is um, recycling. Now, this is a theme that's been around for a long time now. And, um, you know, when you s say things like, you know, uh, these commodity prices, these metal prices could increase quite a lot. Um, you know, it seems to me that's going to be an incentive to reuse perhaps what we have at our disposal already. What role do you think um, recycle, recycling can have in this transition and supplying the materials that are needed? What kind of impact might it have? I think, you know, you know recycling and also substitution are going to be key policies to solve for this. But these are not solutions. These are, you know, things to, to relieve the pressure, if you will. And I would like to, you know, when I think about recycling, right, for bulk metals like iron and part of copper, we, we have, you know, good recycling uh, uh, technologies that are in place uh, in place now, but certain other transition you know elements, there is still research that needs to be done. We still don't know an efficient way to, you know, recycle the the batteries, for example. It's still very very energy intensive to to, to recycle batteries. But you know, I think over time, these these uh, technologies will be available. But if you think about this, right? You know, we still are. Not there yet in terms of deployment of like these new uh, 
electric uh, vehicle fleets. Let's say we arrive to that peak by wishful thinking, 2030. So all these new fleets will come to recycle. You know, they say these things have like 10, 15 years, you know, of, of life. And they will come back in 2040, 2045. So we still don't have the enough in all that material to come to that point that we can even think about recycling yet. We still need to build that infrastructure, the EV fleets, all these, you know, power grids and everything that is not necessarily recyclable in the short run. So we still need that, you know, uh, demand, voracious demand coming in, in, in the, uh, in this decade and and the next ones and then in the, when you reach the equilibrium yes recycling will be a part and it's kind of like the value proposition right you know metals will be a lot more recyclable than uh, than 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 fossil fuels so and another thing is when you think about recycling right recycling doesn't happen um, easily for recycling to happen as you can imagine price has to reach at some levels just so it's worthwhile for people to you know, go out and take the effort and the energy to, to, to recycle. So again, it builds on that argument that prices, they have to rise even for to, to, to incentivize this uh, recycling when, you know, it's not available uh, at this time. Um, so just, you know, to give you an idea, like, you know, I just read an uh, in, in International Energy Agency report, like, you know, today recycling is like less than 1% you know, of these batteries, like, you know, even when you come to the 2030s, 2035s, the amount of recycling only will meet about 10, 12% of the demand. So it's going to be still like, you're going to have to rely on the primary source of the uh, metal, the production of it to, 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 to complete and also uh, maintain this, uh, this, this transition. So I think, yeah, you know, recycling is, is and the substitution too, like when you think about substitution, like when I think about how can you substitute something like copper, right? Because copper has certain, um, you know, uh, properties. It's a very good conductor, right? You know, it's very efficient in conducting. Perhaps you can substitute it with, you know, aluminum in certain places, like in high voltage, you know, transmission lines. But then what are you going to substitute aluminum with? Like it's kind of like, you know, it's going to have these, these uh, scarcity have re, uh, spillover effects, you know, from aluminum. And then what are you going to substitute aluminum with and so on and so forth. So net net, I would like to say, yes, this if we reach that scarcity wall and we hit that wall and then you're going to have to think about these substitution issues, it's going to lift all the boats, all the boats of kind of like, you know, metals that, uh, that are, uh, you know, available for uh, substitution. So, yeah, I think, you know, these will be requiring high prices. And I think is these are a part of the solution. They are not the solution. We still need to deploy money in the production of the primary metals. Okay. Um, let's talk about how you play this. Like, from, an, from, from an investor's point of view, I mean, what recommendations would you give to an investor and how to um, play this transition and, you know, the impact it's going to have on these metals and other commodities? Yeah, I think this is certainly, you know, I can see there is going to be visible demand and I can see the supply is going to be critically low in certain uh, metals. I would like to also, you know, uh, think that, you know, there is uncertainty around the technological path. So, for example, we don't know what the future battery will look like. So rather than just betting on one, you know, uh, battery metal versus the others 
I would rather recommend, you know, people who would like to play this, having a broader uh, set of commodities, exposure to commodities in, in, in their portfolios from, you know, maybe, you know, those commodities that are cross-cut like copper and aluminum mm -hmm. will likely be scarcer and safer bets compared to those com commodities or metals that are, you know, that are still uncertain uh, in terms of their demand. And, but I also think, yes, this is a, 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 a metal story, but there are, you know, side players, you know, side roles uh, to this story. And I can even say, like, you know, as we are going through this transition, what, is, what else is being happening is kind of like we are, uh, we are, you know, perhaps forgetting that we are still, you know, living in a, a, a fossil fuel uh, demanding uh, world. Right, you know, and and the policies that we see today, and uh, again the investor, uh, uh, you know, the risk aversion against these uh, sectors, we are again choking this energy sector, especially fossil fuel energy sector, you know, away from the, the capital needed to produce uh, more. Now, when you see, for example, in like you know, the um, you know. How, how many inter internal combustion engine vehicles are roaming the streets around the world these days? It's 1.4 billion, right? You know how many electric vehicle uh, engine uh, cars are, you know, roaming, the, you know, driving on the streets these days? Only about, you know, 30 million or so, it's, you know, at the end of last year. So we are literally just scratching the surface. We still have to feed this enormous fleet of internal combustion engines. and. When you think about this, like uh, in terms of a policy perspective, in the West, we have the luxury to be able to think about um, sustainability issues and put it at the front uh, and center of what we would like to achieve. But when you talk to like an Indian politician or a sub-Saharan politician, right? Over there, the, 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 the issues are different. There, they have to put emphasis on security and affordability. And it's difficult to think that, you know, we will transition from this fuel uh, economy to, to metal economy very quickly as a result. So that's why even in this transition, despite the fact that it's going to be a metal-like, metalized world in the future, there is still going to be demand and scarcity in, in the energy uh, markets as well. So I'll, my recommendation is that, you know, investors, especially thinking about you know, protecting their portfolios against inflation, have uh, some position in in in, in especially energy, uh, you know, uh, fossil fuel, kind of like you know the, the the oils and gasolines and heating oils and so on and so forth as well. Finally, these policies, right? They have unintended consequences too. For example, you see Inflation Reduction Act and others. They are emphasizing projects that you know, bring in renewable fuels and especially things like, you know, uh, you know, oil uh, from f food is going to be a, a critical uh, part of this. So, for example, you see, especially in the, in the United States, existing refiners are being transformed into uh, biodiesel refineries. And these will be exceedingly needing things like soybeans, soybean oil, right? You know, sugar and corn. And these are, yeah. it used to be like we used the, the, these grains as food to feed the human, and then we feed the animals. Now these food are a lot more gonna be used for 
fuel. So food for fuel policies, again, will keep these agricultural commodities scarce and demanded as well. That's why, you know, long story short, my recommendation uh, for our listeners is this is a metal story, yes, but it has its, you know, spillover effects in energy and also in, in agricultural as well. That's why I think a broad, well-diversified, I think a scarcity chasing kind of like a a, an approach will probably a better way to solve for this future inflation. What we would like to call nowadays, we would like to call green inflation, green inflation uh, problems uh, in your portfolio. Okay, I just want to touch on one last point. And um, as you be, will be well aware, a lot of um, investors are ESG minded these days. And um, with what you've just mentioned about um, investment in energy sectors, um, agricultural sectors. How do you feel uh, a commodities uh, fund might fit into uh, an ESG-minded uh, person's portfolio? I mean, what? How could that tie in? Sure thing. Yeah, it's a great concern, and I, you know, see a lot of the investors they are shying away uh, from this asset class because look, commodities they are carbon dioxide emitters, right? You know, there are a lot of issues with extraction and production and burning. So, uh, so, but I think the, 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 the question is who owns that carbon footprint, right? Definitely, if a company, you know, that produces or extracts this natural resource, they own that, you know, carbon footprint or the, 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 the investors of that, you know, uh, firm, they should own that carbon footprint and the responsibility. But if you are, let's say, you know, accessing the space using derivatives, right? You know, futures, forward contracts, a contract that uh, is written on a production, let's say five years, six years from now, these kind of you know derivatives, they are not necessarily you know tied to the production that is going on right now. So as a result, they shouldn't be, in my kind of like understanding, be tied to a carbon footprint. It is like it's the 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 thing that we write the contract on let's say a barrel of oil, it hasn't been produced yet. It may never be produced because usually when you invest in these futures forward contracts, you roll them. You roll them to make sure that you never get the physical ownership of the underlying. You always roll your derivatives forward. And so as a result, I think, you know, uh, the the carbon footprint ownership of that kind of like barrel of oil contract in the futures, it, it, it shouldn't be there. In, from my uh, you know understanding, of course, there is no guidance from United Nations. There's no guidance from any you know uh, policymaker. But I think just logic makes me think that there there shouldn't be a, a a carbon footprint ownership. So I don't want to say like this commodity being in the commodity business is you know again environmental positive, and I also don't want to make the case that it is environmentally negative. I think it's just uh, if you would like to play it uh, in this way, I think using derivatives, becoming close to the uh, to the to the underlying spot price using derivatives. I think it's my understanding as neutral as as it gets. Okay, Akankar, thanks very much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on.